Good morning. Hey, I love coming to sing with you guys. I think it's so fun to be singing these Christmas songs and kind of embracing that season. I hope you're enjoying the Christmas season so far. And I think the thing that my heart needed this morning and when I was here at 4.30 yesterday in those songs is this idea that we are here to adore Him. And so that doesn't stop just because we're done singing, but we're going to do that as we dive into Luke 14 some more today because I think that this passage It shows us something that Jesus did. It shows us something that he was teaching people around him. But every time that we see any of that, it's showing us who he is. And that gives us something to adore about him. And so I was kind of surprised as I was studying Luke 14 how Christmassy this passage kind of ends up being. And we've been calling this this portion a Christmas invitation. And what you've got to understand is that what Beth shared with us last week What we're exploring today and what Chad is going to share next week, all of these parts of chapter 14 are essentially happening in one scene at the house of one person where Jesus had been invited to a feast. But what's unique about this is that he's at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, one chapter ago, it said that the Pharisees were lying in wait for him. Not so they could jump out and say, Merry Christmas, it's your birthday, surprise! It said they were trying to catch him. Their goal was to at least arrest him, if not kill him. And then a ruler of this group of Pharisees says, hey, Jesus, how about lunch? Would you go? I don't think I would go. But something Beth said last week I think is right. I think he was there because of love. Not only for the man with dropsy who we saw him heal last week, but for these Pharisees too, and even for this ruler of the Pharisees, this man who had invited him. I think that Jesus wanted to teach them something about what it means to humble ourselves and exalt others. Because he knew that they probably didn't understand that very well. In fact, right after he heals the man with dropsy, something that they, they hoped had let, would let them catch him, then they all fall silent because like instead of tripping up, Jesus does a miracle. And it's almost like, hey, let's, not, let's just not talk about it. Okay, uh, time, time for the food. That's why we're here, right? It was for a feast on the Sabbath day. And so this is where it picks up in verse seven. It says, so Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. So almost this, like a miracle has just happened before their eyes but dinner's about to start and we want to get the good seats. So it's like, forget that whole thing. There's this mad dash, this mad scramble to try to get the best seats in the house. Now, we understand this a little bit because in that culture, where you sit was an indicator of how much prestige you have in the community, how much honor you have. You know, who are the people that can pull the strings and make the connections? So whenever you were invited to this kind of feast, they, like many of us, when we walk into a party, walk into a meeting, We're thinking, who can I network with? How do I look? Am I wearing the right thing? Did did I match what everyone else's expectations are? What are they thinking of me? What should I be thinking of them? Is he worth talking to or should I be talking to her? Right? There's, There's this kind of mindset going on. And so there would be a seat for the guest of honor and then everybody else would kind of be ranked by where they sit. So Jesus is going to use the picture of a wedding feast to help them understand this. And we get that too, because when you go to a wedding... Who sits front and center? It's the guest of honor, right? There's one table in the front, and right in the middle of that table are the bride and groom. On either side of them 
are their closest friends, the best man, the maid or matron of honor, and then it kind of fans out from there. Well, this is exactly what Jesus would have experienced, that they would be looking to try to squeeze into those seats, and so he wants to tell them this parable. So this is what it says in verse 8. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him, and he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. The picture here is a little bit like if you've ever gone to a play or maybe a sports game, you know, and you, you paid for the best seat because you want to be able to see everything that happens at the 50-yard line. You, you want to see, you want to hear the orchestra, see the actor's expressions. And when you pull out your ticket, row one, seat 10, why is somebody already sitting in row one, seat 10? <laughs> then the usher comes over and they take the walk of shame. <laughs> like they hoped maybe you wouldn't show up and they could have that better seat. Right? That's the picture that Jesus is giving. And so there's a piece of this that would be kind of just helpful knowledge in general that he would say, look, nobody wants that embarrassment, so be smart. Don't take a seat that's higher than where you belong. But the next piece of what he says is going to turn this on its head. Because this is the kind of seating layout that they had back then. Front and center was the guest of honor in the front of the room. And now most of their meals would happen on couches that had three seats. And so the center seat of the center couch in the front row was where the most important person would sit. Now after that, on the same couch, we're still on the center couch, in the center row, in the front of the room, the next most honorable seat would be to their left. The next most honorable seat would be to their right, and then it would begin to fan out and move back. So after that center couch, center row, center seat, left and right, then you would move to the left couch, front row, center seat, left and right. Right couch, front row, center seat, left and right, then to the second row, center couch, center seat, left and right, onto the left, onto the right, further and further back, until you get all the way to the back row, to the far right couch, to the far right seat in the corner where you are probably just lucky you even got to come to this party. <laughs> so, you see the guest of honor. This is the man that can make a difference in the community. This is the woman who can give you the connections that you need and that seat. Nobody's taken that seat yet. Right, this was the scramble. There's probably not a lot of places in our culture where you walk into a room and start pushing people out of the way like musical chairs trying to get that last seat, right? But as I thought about this, I thought how often this does show up in the way that we interact with one another. How often in a conversation are we listening but we're sort of like half listening because I'm waiting for that thing. I can attach to that thing and tell an even better story than yours. Or I'm listening to that, that piece in a meeting where somebody says, hey, we had some success in this area. Oh, yeah, well, wait till you hear about what I did. Because we want to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to be honored. Like, we want that attention. We want to know that our hard work is paying off, that somebody notices that, that we're worthwhile, and that we're doing a good job. And I think it's interesting to note here 
that when Jesus gives them the second half of this, he's really trying to help us understand what to do when we're invited, and then later he'll help us understand what to do when we're inviting. Because he says, when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. Not a lower place, but the lowest place. All the way in that back corner. And immediately something within us is feeling like, but if I don't look out for number one, who will? Like, I need to talk to that guy, and if I'm back here, I've got no chance. But listen, he says, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. See, in Jesus' instruction is this intrinsic belief that we can trust the one who invited us. In fact, if we think about this in the context of Christmas and in the context of Christ, what he's saying is, take the lowest seat and let God move you up. God is the one who has extended to you the most gracious, the most loving, the most joyful invitation through Jesus Christ to the wedding feast of the Lamb. An invitation to eternal life that comes no other way. And he says, I will not forget you, no matter where you sit. God knows who he invited. He knows how much he loves each and every one of you. That even though we feel like people around us may not be noticing us, even though we feel like people around us may not be giving us what we're due, God doesn't miss anything. We can trust the one who invited us because it's his feast. He's our dad. This is our father throwing this party and saying, when you get there, take the lowest seat. Leave those honorable seats for someone else. Now, I think something that's important to note here, because the common wisdom at the time was that this is how to work the system, right? So, okay, I see how this goes. So if I want the highest seat, all I got to do is take the lowest seat and I'll get to move up. It's subtle, right? Because that is kind of what Jesus is saying, except there's a different motivation there. You hear it? That's just a little bit of that selfish motivation coming back in. Because really, I deserve that seat still. I deserve the place of honor. So I'll go sit in the back. You know what? I will. I'll take the worst seat. Not, Not because I deserve it, clearly, but I'm someone who deserves honor, so I'll just start back here to get what I want. And so what happens is, and I've done this in my life, so this is not a guilt trip, this is just kind of the way the human brain works sometimes. I'm sitting really far back, Lord. Hey, Chad, did you notice how humble I was today? Hope somebody noticed. I'm suffering for the Lord, but that's okay. I don't mind. I'll even scoot. Maybe I'll sit in the hallway so people just really know how humble I am. You know, my grandpa used to joke with me that he thought he was uh, probably the most humble person in the world and that someday he was going to write a book, Humility and How I Obtained It. And when I was little, I did not understand that this was a joke. I was like, Grandpa, that sounds really prideful. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, that's the joke. Okay, it was too subtle for me. But that's what happens a lot of times, right? It's so hard for us to think to ourselves what Jesus is describing is that we take the lowest seat and we're content there. That there's no longer a sense of, I deserve better, so I'll take this until I get what I deserve. It's a sense of, hey, don't worry about what I deserve. While I'm there, how am I content? And who's sitting around me that I can serve? 
Jesus put it in his own words this way in verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, wrapped into that is this promise that God sees, that God loves the humble. And so this really becomes an issue of pride that Jesus is talking about, that, that rather than spending all of our time trying to grab that highest seat, we truly approach it with humility. And you may have heard people say that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I think the first time I heard that, that really unlocked something for me because maybe for some of us or maybe for all of us at different times, sometimes self-centeredness sounds like, I deserve this. I am working harder than them. I'm better than them. This is what I am owed and I've got what's coming to me and I want it now. But other times, we put this kind of humble veneer on it, but it's still self-centeredness when we say, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm just Drew. I'm not worth that. I don't, don't, look, don't look at me. Please don't pay attention to me. And someone tries to offer you a compliment, and you can't take it, and they're thinking, hey, just take a compliment, <laughs> right? And, and what ends up happening is we're not being humble so much as we're just humiliating ourselves. We're demeaning ourselves. But God says he loves to exalt us. Like every single person in this room, every single person on this planet throughout all of history, God looks at that person and says, I made you. You are awesome. I designed you exactly how I hoped you would be and I want you to know me as my child and I want to lift you up. I want to exalt you. I want to celebrate you. That's what he wants. So for us to flip to the other part and just say, no, I stink, Lord. You don't like me. Like that's not it either. So I think that's really helpful to realize that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But I think the other piece here is to add to that, it's thinking of others more, right? That that's what we replace it with. That maybe I begin to walk into those places thinking less about what does this do for me? Where do I connect? And start to think more about who can I serve? Who can I encourage? Who can I lift up? I think that's where he's showing us that this isn't how we work the system, but it is how the system works. That when we are truly humble, when we release the desire to lift myself up, we can trust that the host, the one who invited us, God himself, wants to exalt us. And honestly, this is where uh, Luke 14 starts to get really Christmassy because this is exactly what Jesus did. In fact, I thought it would be fun since it is the middle of December and we're getting closer and closer to Christmas Eve if maybe I would just read you the Christmas story right here this morning. And I don't mean the Grinch, although that's a good one too. <laughs> I don't mean Rudolph. I'm kind of sick of that one. <laughs> it's actually the Christmas story out of Philippians chapter 2. And I know that you think the Christmas story is in Luke 2. It is. But it's also in Philippians 2. And I think it shows how much Christmas is an undercurrent of everything that Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection. So listen to this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now what that means is, for Jesus to take the highest seat is not robbing God. Because he is God. That is his seat. He is the most high. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. And yet, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant 
and coming in the likeness of men. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The birth of God himself as a human being from a human woman just like you and me. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now here's where Luke 14 starts to kick in to Philippians 2. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I love in this passage is that there is no sense that Jesus did this because he wanted to be exalted. Like even though that promise is all over scripture, throughout the entire Old Testament, it's talking about how the Messiah will be lifted up. In fact, when Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, he said to her, you're gonna have a baby, you're gonna name him Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God himself will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The promise of exaltation is there every step of the way for Christ. And yet he humbled himself to the point of death for us. See, there's a difference between his motivation and his promise. Because his motivation, John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world. The fact that he'll be honored is a promise, but his motivation was love, and that's the example that he sets for us because Christ took the lowest place, not a lower place, not down to like the angels. Christ took the lowest place so he could invite you to the feast. Christ took the lowest place, all the way in that back corner, kind of out into the hallway, so he could invite you to the feast, to make it possible for you to accept this kind of an invitation. You see, whenever Jesus walked into a room, no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, no matter what he was teaching, he was always looking for ways to exalt other people. Always looking for ways to serve other people, to lift other people up. And so as we think about that, even this Christmas season, all the time, but even this Christmas season, as you walk into those parties, those family gatherings, those feasts, maybe instead of thinking, like, who do I connect with? Who do I avoid? Who do I want to talk to? Who do I not feel like talking to? How can I sit like just close enough to the edge of the room that I don't have to help clear the table? <laughs> Maybe we walk into those parties and say, who could I encourage today? Who might be one of those family members that everybody else is avoiding that I could be kind to them even though they're not kind to me? Who might just need to know that they're appreciated today? Or maybe it's at work. You know, how often... Uh, Again, for myself, but you probably felt this. How often do we walk into work 
and it's like a beeline past everybody because I've got a task list and I've got to get my stuff done. And if it's not done today, I don't want to do it tomorrow. So task list, task list, time to get these to-do things done. What would be different if we slowed down a little bit, maybe took a different path to your desk to walk past some of the other team members, some of the other people you work with that you don't normally interact with, and just took a minute to tell them how much you appreciate that they're there. How thankful you are for their hard work and the things that they contribute to the team. You know, the next time you're sitting in one of those meetings and everybody's kind of giving their reports on what they're, what they're getting done, what they're working on, if you gave more credit to other team members than you give to yourself. Right, those are simple ways to elevate people around us, to take a lower seat and help them move up. But I don't know about you, for me, this is easier said than done. Like, this is the kind of thing that I, I think, like Christ, you have, to, you have to meditate about this. You have to think of this ahead of time. You have to plan to do that because otherwise, everything in us reacts against this pretty strongly. And I'll give you an example of this. Just earlier this week, I'm, I'm sitting at the airport waiting to fly back to Cincinnati. And they make the call, it's time to line up, get on the plane. So I come and get in line. And I'm literally, I'm, I'm just about to scan my ticket and get on the plane. And this lady comes flying up from the concourse. Clearly she's late. Clearly it's her own fault. I don't know what boarding group she was in. It must have been ahead of mine. But without even making eye t- contact, she cuts in front of me, scans her thing, goes on the plane, and takes the last spot in the overhead compartment. I don't even want to take this lower place, let alone the lowest place. And here's the, here's the worst part about it, because in, in my heart and in my head, you know, I mean, if you've been there, somebody cuts you off in traffic, somebody cuts you off at the store, somebody does that to you at the airport, like all of a sudden you find out how human your heart is, because how dare she? It's not even like a, doesn't she know who I am? It's just a, I was here first, right? This is my place of honor. So here's what's... Um, Maybe we'll call it funny instead of terrible about this, but two minutes before that, I'm sitting in the concourse at one of those little cubicle kind of things where you can lay out some stuff, get some things done, charge your phone, working on this message, (laughs) putting in my final notes and reading these words from Jesus himself about moving others up. Praise the Lord. God, I adore you. You are so good, man. Hey! It is easier said than done. We got to own that, and I know that, and I feel it in my own heart. I think that's why it's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be at the airport today. I don't know if anything happens, but maybe there's an opportunity. God, I'm going to be hanging out with family today, and I don't know if anything happens there, but maybe there's an opportunity. God, I'm going to work today. There's there's probably going to be an opportunity. Show me where I can humble myself and let you exalt me, that I can release trying to make myself appear even as good as I am, better than I am, whatever. Lord, let me just not worry about it. But let me humble myself and let you exalt me. So Jesus moves then from what to do when we're invited because this, what he has demonstrated for us, is exactly what he wants us to do when we are the ones inviting. And in verse 12, this is how he says it. Because after he's been telling this parable, really to the whole group, verse 12 says that he also said to him who invited him. So this is a moment that he essentially leans over just to one guy. That ruler of the Pharisees whose house he was sitting in who had invited him that day. Because he's got a word for him. 
And I don't know how loud he said it. I don't know if enough people could hear it that somebody could tell Luke so he could write it down. I actually wonder if Luke interviewed this ruler of the Pharisee. Hey, what was it like that day that Jesus came over? Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is an incredibly personal and an incredibly literal application of the parable that Jesus gives to this man. And I think this is so valuable because if you think about what he's saying here, this is a ruler of the Pharisees, the group that is trying to catch him. And so often it is, it is easy for us to be like, Pharisees, bad guys, got it. Pharisees, don't be like them, got it. But Jesus is not attacking him. Jesus is teaching him. Jesus is inviting him. And if you notice what he says here, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know who makes it to the resurrection of the just? Only people who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and saved by the sacrifice of the Messiah. Instead of saying, you think you're going to catch me? I'm going to bring you down hard. Jesus says, hey, let me tell you about a better way. I know you threw this party today to try to make all these connections. It looks good for you if this person comes and that person comes and you sit by these people. You know, I know you sit in those meetings and you're thinking, if I could just connect with this guy, if I could just bend his ear a little bit, if I could just get his financing, let me give you a better way. Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. I think that's really literal. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I think I'm almost too eager to take that and say, Let's spiritualize that. The, the spiritually poor, you know, the, spiritually, the people who are far from God, I think it is that. I absolutely think it is that. And I think we have application for that too. But remember, a man with dropsy was just healed in his home. A, a maimed man was just performed a miracle on. You gotta think that he's thinking, maybe I could invite him then. <laughs> maybe he knows other people. Instead of the movers and shakers, what if I invited people that couldn't move, couldn't shake, wouldn't even know how to get here? So I think there's something really literal for us to pay attention to here first. Because if we're going to take the lowest seat, then we have an opportunity to lift other people up. And again, you've got to realize that in this passage, never once does Jesus say that there's anything wrong with being honored Never once does he say there's anything wrong with being exalted. That's something that he wants for us. And even here, it's not something wrong about having a feast with friends, brothers, neighbors, because there's other places where he asks us to do that too. But in this moment, talking to this man, he realized his motivation was, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? I throw this party, looks good for me. You throw a party, I'll come to yours. That looks good for you. We all make connections. We all get richer. This is going to be great. It's the motivation that Jesus is concerned about and he wants to shift his motivation to love. That we invite others to help them move up. Not to help us move up. 
That's the key difference here. And so as Jesus encourages him to think about this literally, you know, I think we need to check our own hearts on this. And so I'll tell you how I, how I check my heart on this. Because um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, so I was just far enough out of the city that like, I didn't have to really be like, in the city unless I meant to be, you know, that I was going to see a show, going to see a Bulls game, you know, whatever that was. And so I learned, and I don't even know where I learned this or if it was just, it's just the way people act, but I knew that poor people especially if these people were to the point of homeless, weren't really people, they were a problem. And they were probably homeless because it's their own fault. They were probably doing drugs, they were probably making bad life choices, they were probably lazy, they could work if they weren't so lazy. It's their own fault, and so they are not my problem. And so when I, whenever I was downtown, I mean, I would, I, literally, I would say this to friends, like if we're hanging out, don't make eye contact. They just want your money, and they're just going to buy alcohol or something with it. Now, as you hear me say that, there are pieces of that that sound really true. And it is important to have good boundaries, right? Like, it's important to understand what really is the problem, what really would help, you know, when helping hurts, and when just throwing money at something doesn't actually do what you think it's going to do. So, like, like, all of that is there. And behind that is probably a layer of compassion that is, who is this person really and what do they actually need? Let me just tell you, I was not being compassionate. (laughs) All of those things were excuses to say, not my problem. So if we're thinking about Christmas, that is the shriveled up little Grinch heart, okay? And I felt so justified in doing that because I knew what these people's problem was and I'm not like them and they're not like me and we don't belong together. Apparently, I either did not read Luke 14 or I did not believe it. Because Jesus says those are exactly the people that we can go to, literally, and lift them up. And some of it is systemic. Some of it is how do we create jobs in our city? Some of it is how do we give people a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, and then put the resources around them that those chances have a better chance. But some of it is just personal. Especially in a town like Cincinnati, I can walk out of the Aronoff on any given weekend and like see the same people who have no home to go home to. Like I can know them by name. I, I can meet the guy who's at my exit off of 75 and find out what his story is. And actually take him to lunch. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to this man. Before you move on to like, yes, but I also have neighbors and friends who, who are far from you. Don't miss the people who everybody else is missing, right? If God is the one who invited all of us and he knows you're sitting out in the hallway, he's saying, think like Christ, right? That was in Philippians 2. Have that same mind as Christ to start noticing the people that nobody else is noticing. God's been working that heart in me and I know he's working that heart in people around here as well. In fact, some of the coolest things he's been teaching me is coming from some of you. you I've got a friend here well, more than one, to be honest with you. You know, people that go down to City Gospel Mission not just to give or to serve a meal, but to try to get to know somebody, to try to help somebody move forward in life. You know, or a friend who um, goes to a, a drug rehab clinic to mentor other guys. Not like a good works checklist because now God's going to owe me, but because he's really trying to help someone else move up, to exalt them. You know, a friend who goes to a juvenile detention center, giving of their own time, their own money, their own flexibility to say, hey, 
there's things God taught me. I think these kids might need to know. And if I don't tell them, who will? So it's worth it to me. And maybe I can help them move up. There's opportunities like this all around us. And I think it's exactly what Jesus loves to do. In fact, you see this all over scripture. So we're looking at Luke 14 and we can talk about the Christmas story and we see it in Philippians 2. But as you flip through the pages of the Bible, I just ran across this even this morning. Psalm 113, talking about the Messiah, something that they would read at the Passover, they probably read at the Last Supper, speaking about the one who would come that ends up being Jesus himself. It says, he raises the poor out of the dust, lifts the needy out of the ash heap so that he may seat them with princes, with the princes of the people. It's exactly what he's talking about in Luke 14. So as you think about this, ask yourself this question. This Christmas season, but maybe all the time, who can you help move up? Who can you invite? Who can you serve that can't repay you? Who can you serve that can't repay you? You know, and maybe it is the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. It's the kind of thing that we have the opportunity to do through the giving tree that is in the rear of the atrium. And I love this. I got an email this week that said, this year we have collected more items for the giving tree than ever before. So can I just exalt you guys for that kind of generosity and that kind of excitement? I love hearing that. And it's actually not over. The global part of the giving tree goes all the way to Christmas Eve. That's when those would be due back. So like maybe we could triple it, <laughs> have three times as many as we've ever done before. I don't know. But that's an opportunity to give to someone who can never repay you, to say this comes with the love of God in the name of Christ, the generosity he's shown to me that I show to others, not because they're going to pay you back. They don't even know who gave it to them, right? I love that. I think Jesus loves that. And yeah, maybe it is choosing to be kind to the people who are cruel to you, to love them even when they are intentionally trying to bring you down. You know, maybe it's not needing to be right in an argument with a spouse or a child or a friend. Honestly, sometimes anger is pride more than anything. And if you've been there, you know, like you just got out of an argument, an altercation, a fight, and I am not going to be the first one to break. Like, I, I am not going to be the one who has to walk back to her, walk back to him and say, I'm sorry because I'm right. Hey, maybe you are. <laughs> but what if you took not just a lower seat, but like the lowest seat, moved them up, exalted them and said, hey, maybe I used a tone that wasn't as helpful as it could have been. Maybe I said something. I'm going to own as possible. I, I, I might not be right about all of this. And watch how that can change things in a relationship. I think you've got to practice this. I think we've got to train our brains to be able to think that way. Think about it ahead of time. Think about it before you get there. Like maybe you jot down a couple things this afternoon. Hey, Christmas Eve, when we're with all that family, I'm going to try to watch for this. <laughs> then when you get there, you'll be ready. The Holy Spirit will remind you of that thing. You know, maybe it's even just something like secret giving. Have you ever tried that? It's so much fun to try to figure out a way to give to somebody, to bless to some, somebody who can never pay you back because they don't know it was you. Because then here's what God says about that kind of thing. If you look back at verse 14, he told this man that you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
Now again, I think he's not telling us how to work the system. He's telling us how the system works. I always feel like I'm only speaking for myself when I say these things, but I know that in my heart, there's just enough of this selfish motivation that when he says that, I start thinking, okay, then maybe I will give to that video project because I could have like a really beautiful crown in heaven. Or like maybe if, um, maybe if I do a couple of those things that uh, Chad said or Drew said or like, think how big my mansion's going to be in heaven. Probably bigger than yours anyway, at least. I mean, uh, like start to get this picture of like Scrooge McDuck money bin in my head that I'll just be swimming through my heavenly riches, you know? And there's just a little bit, right? It's just that, that selfish motivation comes back in. I don't think that's what he's telling us here. I think instead he wants to give us the confidence that when you do these things out of love, if you do these things the way Christ did them, you don't have to worry about that other stuff because God's going to take care of it. Because we don't really have like a one-to-one currency converter for how our heavenly treasure shows up. You know, sometimes it talks about crowns, sometimes it talks about crowns of righteousness, sometimes it talks about jewels, sometimes it talks about love and joy and peace and these kinds of things that we enjoy in the presence of God. Sometimes it says he'll reward you, sometimes it says you're unworthy servants just doing what you've been asked. You know, there's enough of this that, that I think what we realize is God's not trying to give us an equation so that we can calculate which things get us the most heaven stuff. I think he's trying to give us an encouragement that he, that he sees us back there and he wants to reward that. That we won't show up and say, like our, our reward, our repayment is not based on my assertiveness. Like, God, God, hey, before you get to him, I just want to show you all my things I did in my life. I did this thing, I did that thing, I did this thing, and did you see how much fruit this bore? I think it's going to be God saying, yes, I see those things. You actually forgot about this thing. Maybe it didn't look as big, but that, that time that you decided to forgive your spouse even before they forgave you, Your son saw that and he passed it on to his son and he passed it on to his daughter and she passed it on to her kids and that reverberated for generations and and hey, I've got something for you. A friend this week described it for me this way. I think this this really kind of helped me. That instead of thinking that it's me trying to convince God of what he owes me of, it's much more like a little boy or a little girl who's drawing a picture for dad and the whole time they're thinking, I hope dad likes it. Right? They're not thinking, I'm doing great. Like, dad is going to owe me for this one. This is a beautiful picture, <laughs> right? No, they're just they're doing the best they can, and they're trying to make it colorful and fancy because they hope dad likes it. And when they bring it to dad, dad says, I love it, and I'm going to exalt you. I'm putting this at the top of the heavenly fridge. <laughs> like, let's go get ice cream, right? And there's no sense in the child that's like, that's right, we get ice cream. I worked hard on that picture. <laughs> and no, it's just like, love you too, dad. I think that's the confidence he wants to give us, that we're motivated by love and he promises this kind of fulfillment because he loves to do that. So as you think about those things in this Christmas season, how can we humble ourselves and invite others and let God move you up? Humble yourself, invite others, and let God move you up. I'll tell you, it is easier said than done. And so I'd like to just pray for us in closing that he would actually help us do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful. It is incredible to think about the invitation that you have given us. Lord, that when we could do nothing to draw that out of you, you just said, I love you guys and I want you to come to my feast. Lord, we know that that is why you sent Christ, what we celebrate at this Christmas season. So we thank you, Jesus, for your obedience. Man, to the point of death. 
for humbling yourself for us so that you could lift us up. Lord, I pray that by your grace, by the power of your spirit working in us, we might actually have the ability to do that this season and in the days and years to come, that you would teach us to walk into a room like you did and say, who can I lift up? Who can I move up? How can I take the lowest seat to see others get closer to you, God? We pray all of these things by your spirit's power through your grace. Amen. Hey, I just want to remind you, along with the Giving Tree, you can also get tickets for Christmas Eve. Those are also in the rear of the atrium. Um, We have a lot of different time slots on the 23rd and the 24th. If you have questions about that, please head to the table in the rear of the atrium. They'll help you out, and we'll see you back next week. Thanks for coming.